Hey, thanks so much for tuning in to the Relove Podcast. This is Pastor Seth Yolorda, and I wanna thank you for taking the time out of your busy day to listen to this week's message. Our prayer is that it will leave you inspired, encouraged, and challenged as you grow higher in Christ. And I also just wanna ask that if this message is a blessing to you, that you would take the time to share it, to send it to a friend, send it to a family member so that they too can be blessed. Again, we thank you for taking the time to listen and we pray that you are blessed. Good morning and welcome back to Relove at Home. Thank you so much for tuning in and choosing to worship with us today. I pray that you've had a wonderful week and that as you are settling into your weekend, that you are being able to relax and just to kind of let your hair down a little bit. And I just want to thank you for taking the time to tune in. I recognize that there are hundreds or maybe even thousands of services where you could watch and there's so many powerful words out there. But the fact that you're choosing to spend time with us at home, um, we're just so honored and we want to steward this time well with you. I know that God has a word for you, and so I'm super excited. Now, we're really on episode two. Last week was episode one of this series where we called, which we called Permission Granted. And the whole idea behind this series is that God is calling you to be great. God wants to give you permission to be great. Like, you remember how you used to have to get a permission slip in order to walk around the hall to go to the restroom when you were in elementary school or middle school? Well, it's the same concept, that God is giving you a permission slip. Some of you, I know, I've been there. I feel as though I can't step into all of that God has called me to be. I'm kind of hesitant or scared or fearful to be great, but we just want to debunk that myth. No, God not only is calling you into greatness, but God is expecting you to be greatness. And last week, if you haven't watched that message, I want to encourage you to do that. Last week, we dealt with John chapter 15. And in John chapter 15, we basically described how Christ says, I am the vine, you are the branches. And as long as you stay connected to me, he says one of four things is going to happen. Either you're going to bear no fruit. And if you don't bear any fruit, he says that branch will be cut off. But then he says, if you stay connected with me, that you will bear fruit. And that as you bear fruit, the father will come and he will prune you. And as he prunes you, you will then begin to bear more fruit. And as you continue to remain in Christ, you will then begin to bear much fruit. And that's the idea is that we want to look at our lives and we want to say, God, I don't want to just bear some fruit. I don't want to just bear more fruit. I want to bear much fruit. And we talked about this definition. I gave you a definition last week of what fruitfulness really was. And it's on the screen. It is fruitfulness is living your life in such a way that your gifts emerge. Those around you are elevated and the kingdom is exalted. I wanna say that again, because this is the definition that we're using throughout the next several weeks as we are diving into the series. Living your life in such a way that your gifts emerge. Yes, God has given you gifts, that your gifts emerge, that those around you are elevated, and that the kingdom is exalted. That is at the heart of what it means to be fruitful, that God has called you and I to be a producer. Can you just say that with me? God's called me to be a producer. Come just say it a little bit louder. In fact, put it in the chat. If you're watching on Facebook, you're watching on YouTube, put it in the chat. God has called me to be a producer. Turn to the person next to you and say, God has called me to be a 
producer. He wants me to produce. He wants me to produce love and joy and peace and and goodness and kindness and self-control. He wants me to elevate those people around me. He wants me to use my house and my car and my job and my family and everything that I have. He desires me to use it for his cause, to elevate others around me and to exalt the kingdom of heaven. And so today I want to just continue on this same theme of producing and fruitfulness, the same theme of permission granted. And today I want to talk to you about how God is calling us to grow, grow our gifts. And so today we're going to start with Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through uh, 30. And I want to read the entire passage for you. Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30. The word of God says, for the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one, he gave five talents to another. He gave two talents and to another. He gave one to each according to his ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Then he, then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made five more talents. And likewise, he who had received the two gained two more also. But he who had received the one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants uh, came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. His Lord said, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. He also who had received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents besides them. The, he, his Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Look there, you have what is yours. But his Lord said to him, verse 26, you wicked and lazy servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers. At my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has 10 talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of the Lord. The question that I have for you based off of this passage is, what have you done with your greatness? What have you done with your greatness? This this story reminds me of one of my favorite childhood cartoons, and I've probably used this illustration a hundred times. So if you've heard it before, forgive me, but I just feel like 
I don't know, yes, they were writing it for Disney, but I feel like God was behind that pen because one of my favorite childhood cartoons is the story of Simba and the Lion King. And you all know the story where uh, Simba is basically an outcast. His father, Mufasa, dies. He runs away to a distant country. He finds a, a warthog and a meerkat, Timon and, Pim T Timon and Pumbaa, and they kind of grow up together. And then Nala, Simba's long lost girlfriend, comes back, finds him, and tells him, like, listen, your uncle Scar has totally devastated the Pride Land. We need you to come back. And Simba is wrestling and wrestling and wrestling with whether he should go back because he feels like he's a failure. He feels like I'm responsible for my father's death. He feels like I won't be accepted by the lion pride. He's like, I don't know if I could come back. And then in a dream, Simba sees his father come to him. And this is the line of all lines in that movie. His father, Mufasa, comes back to him and he says to him, Simba, you are more than what you have become. You are more than what you have become. You should be the lion, the king of the jungle where everyone should be falling underneath you and you should be ruling and governing and dictating and having domain over the pride land, pride land. but you are here in some distant forest, uh, rainforest, hanging out with zebras and meerkats and pumbas and, and, uh, and, and warthogs. You should be doing so much more. He's saying you are more than what you have become. And as I just hear that line in that cartoon, I can't think that that has to be some of the same thoughts that God has about his children, that when God looks down on his church and when God looks down upon you, I just wonder, maybe, maybe just a little bit, if God looks at his children and says, my children, you are more than what you have become. It's almost as if God is saying that inside of you is power, inside of you is purpose, inside of you is destiny, inside of you is a calling, inside of you is potential potential inside of you is greatness and yet you're not living up to all that I have put inside of you you are more than what you have become well, I know some of you are like, well, okay, pastor, I get it that, that God on, on Calvary, he died for me and yeah, he poured out his spirit and this spirit literally is an unstoppable force. I mean, this is the same God, this is the same spirit that was with Jesus that raised Lazarus from the dead and fed the 5,000 and healed the lepers and did miraculous things. The early church, the first century, they, they raised the dead, laid hands on them, but they did miraculous things. And you say, I, I get it. I get it. I recognize that God has all power and that God wants to access. He wants me to be able to access his power and to understand that I am his child. I understand that. But pastor, you don't know where I've been and you don't know what I've done. If you knew where I've been, some of you are saying, if you knew what I've been through, if you knew where I've, what I've done in my life, then you would probably have a little bit more compassion. You wouldn't be so hard on us calling us in the greatness. You would just say, you know what? It's okay. But, but this is what I want to really communicate to you, that yes, some of you have been through a hard time. Some of you have had some very traumatic experiences happen to you in your life. Some of you have been through, who have lost and suffered hardship and pain and anguish. Some of you have been through a lot. But I don't really care what you've been through. I care I want to make sure you know that no matter what you've been through, 
you know where you are from. <laughs> okay, okay, I hope I didn't lose you. Like, I care about you, I love you, I'm praying for you. But what you've been through is no excuse to abort your potential. What you've been through is no excuse to, to, to shed and to shake off all the power that God has bestowed upon you. Why? Because no matter what you've been through, you have to understand where you are from. Okay, you're like, well, what do you mean where I'm from? I'm from, I'm from, y'all, I'm from Compton, I'm from Orange County, I'm from Garden Grove, I'm from, I'm from Santa Ana, I'm from Huff, uh, Huntington Beach, I'm from Riverside. Like, what do you mean where I'm from? No, 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 you're not from Santa Ana. You're not from Garden Grove. You're not from OC, right? You're not from the IE, right? Genesis 2 tells us, Genesis 1 rather tells us where we're from. Let's, let's look at it real quick. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Just so just from the jump, God is saying, listen, I want you to understand that, that you were literally, I am literally made in the image of God. That's where I'm from. That is my, that's my origin story. That who, that's my creator. Yes, I know you came from your parents. I came from Peter and Joan, your Lorda. They came from parents. That's my family of origin. But even further, my original origin story is that I came from God. I was created and made in the image of God. And all that God had and all that God was, he bestowed and he poured into and he created me to be just like him. He says, let us make man in our image according to our likeness so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over the livestock and over all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move on the ground. So God, verse 27, created mankind in his own image in the image of God. He created them male and female. He created them. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number. God is saying, be fruitful and produce. Increase in number, fill the earth, subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves in the ground. Then God said, I give you, I give you every seed bearing plant on the face of the whole earth, every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the sky and all the creatures that are moving along the ground. Everything that he has, that everything that has breath in it, I give every green plant for you. God is essentially saying to Adam and to Eve, he's saying, listen, I have set you up and I have given you rulership. I have given you dominion. I have given you authority. I have given you the ability to Lord and to govern everything. That is our origin story, that when God created us, God created us inherently in our core being to be producers. He created us to bear fruit. Now, yes, since Genesis 1, we can't get past, uh, 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 can't get much further in the word without getting to Genesis 3, where Adam and Eve were hijacked by sin, and your life and my life has been hijacked by sin. But just because we have now been born in sin and shaped in iniquity, that does not somehow undermine, or that does somehow, that somehow does not erase what God originally did when he created us. 
that God's original declaration over our life still stands and is still valued and is still, no, val, not valued, it is still valid. <laughs> that God is calling you and me to step into what he has called us to be, to be producers and to be great to allow our gifts to emerge, to allow those around us to be elevated, and for the kingdom of heaven to be exalted. That's what God is calling us to. Now, now I can only imagine that Genesis chapter one, God gives this declaration to Adam and gives this, gives this direction to Adam. What do you think Adam, God's response to Adam would have been if, God, if Adam would have been, would have been, would have been like, uh, okay, God, I hear you. You want me to rule. You want me to have dominion. You want me to, you know, be Lord over all this. You want me to produce, but uh, I'm good. <laughs> like, like, what do you think God would have said to Adam if Adam was like, uh, nah, I'm good. I'm just going to hang out here at this tree and chill and you know, just, I mean, it's so nice out here. I mean, it's no sin. I'm just going to just relax and just eat some fruit and just let whatever happens, happens. What, what do you think God would have, would have responded? How would God have responded if that would have been Adam's response to him? I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know then, but I do know now. Because in Matthew, the text that we just read, in Matthew in chapter 25, it, it actually, it actually um, gives us God's response. When God says to someone, be fruitful, multiply, have dominion, have authority, exercise greatness, and then for that person to turn and say, mm, I'm good. It, it, it actually gives us God's response. It, just look at the text again. So Jesus is telling a parable. And this is right before he goes to Calvary. In this particular parable, Jesus is like, you know what? There was a, a master who was going on a, a trip. He called his servants together and he says, you know what? I'm going on a trip. I want to give you something. Um, I'm going to give you five talents or five bags of gold or $5,000. I'm going to give you two talents or two bags of gold or $2,000. I'm going to give you one talent or one bag of gold, $1,000. I'm going to give each one of you a, a little something. Um, and he says to them, you know, and then when I return, you know, let me see what you've done with it. And so he gives it to them. And, and something that we must understand is that what they possess, these five bags, these two talents, these five talents, these two talents, these one talents, that what they possess came directly from the master. Like, I just want to make sure that that's clear. Like, it, it wasn't as if they had to go out and somehow find these talents to begin with. No, that everything that they had came from God. And I just want to reiterate that. I want to say that for you right now, that everything that you have came, comes from God. We look at the five talents as, okay, he actually gave them five literal talents, five literal bags of gold, as one translation says it. Um, but how do we translate that into today's language? Well, I would say that God literally has given you a house. God literally has given you a car. God literally has given you a job. God literally has given you a family. God literally has given you influence. God literally has given you a personality. God literally has given you gifts and abilities that 
everything that you have has come from God. In fact, the word of God tells us that every good gift comes from God and it comes down from the father above. So understand that right now, while you're sitting in your home, though you probably worked really hard to buy your home or to rent your home that you're sitting in right now, or if you're listening to while you're listening to this, while you're driving in the car, that the car you're driving right now, you probably worked really hard to acquire that car, to buy that car, to lease that car. But understand that even your ability to work and make money so that you can buy the home that you're sitting in is something that came from God. That everything that we have literally has come from God. And so in this parable, it's almost as if Jesus is trying to say, I gave some people five, some people two, some people one, but understand that everything that you have, everything that was given came from me. And what I want to do is I want to see what you will do with what I've given you. What will you do with what God has given you? That is the question. And so, and so he, some receive five, some receive two, one receives one. And what are they going to do? Now, this is the thing that's very interesting is because what inevitably you and I do, and I am guilty of this. Don't get it twisted. What you and I do is we look at the house that we have, the car that we have, the, the personality that we have. We look at the gifts and the abilities that we have. We look at our life. We take an inventory of all of our resources, all of our experiences. And what we inevitably do is we, check this, we compare what we have with what someone else has. It's called the comparison trap. And, and what this comparison trap then does is it, it sets us up to say, well, I only have two talents. If I had five talents, I would be able to do so much more. I mean, I only have a one bedroom apartment. If I had a three bedroom house, I would be able to do so much more. I only got this one little small Honda Civic. If I had a, if I had a big expedition truck, right, I would be able to do so much more. And we start naturally, we start looking at what God has given us and we start comparing what we have to what someone else has. And a lot of times what that inevitably does is it paralyzes us and gets us in this frame of mind where we feel like we can't do anything with what we have because we don't have what someone else has. And so imagine the person who, who has two talents saying, man, I only have two talents and this guy, he has five talents. I can't do, I can't do what he does, so I'm just not going to do anything. Or I only have one talent and you gave him two talents and I, if I had two talents, I'll be able to do more. But because I only have one talent, I'm not going to do anything. And, 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 and what I want to beg of you to do is to not get into this comparison trap. I'll be honest with you. This week, I fell into the comparison trap. I got to be straight up honest, right? Right. Pray for your pastor. This week, I fell into the comparison trap. It was, uh, it was like Tuesday or, Tuesday or Wednesday. And I was just, I don't know, for some reason, I woke up and um, I, I, something happened. I don't know, maybe I saw something on social media. That normally gets the, that comparison trap going. Maybe I saw something or whatever. And just the whole day, I was just kind of in this funk, like, man, like, you know, look at, look at my contemporaries, look at my friends. They're doing bigger things and greater things. And I was just in this funk. And I, and, and, until, 
until I was talking to a friend of mine. See, whenever you fall into this comparison trap, whenever you fall into a funk, the best way to get out of it is to confess it. So I called one of my friends. I was like, bro, like today I'm just struggling, man. I'm, I'm just all up in my feelings. And inevitably when I'm all up in my feelings, I didn't want to do anything with what God had given me. I'm just like, oh, I don't have enough. I don't have this. I was just literally on the pity potty, right? Pray for me. And so I called one of my friends. I was like, yo, I'm just, I'm just struggling today. And he was like, bro, he literally was like, what are you talking about? He was like, it's so funny because he said, because uh, you literally just were on an interview on a podcast. Someone from another conference called you and you were on their podcast. And I, when I saw that you were on their podcast, he said to me, he said, I was looking at you like, man, wow, Seth is just doing so many great things. And I even started becoming just a little bit envious of what you were doing. And so he said, check this while you're sitting there wishing that you were someone else. There are other people who are sitting there wishing they were you. And when he, when he said that to me, it literally jolted me out of this funk. And I began to realize like, wow, God, you truly have blessed me with so much. And even though I might in my mind be like, well, I don't have this or I don't have that. Who cares, God? I want to be faithful over what you have given me. And so I say all of this to say that so, so many of you all are sitting on your gifts. You're sitting on your greatness, doing absolutely nothing because you are comparing your gifts and your greatness to someone else's gifts that you perceive has more gifts and more greatness. But God doesn't give all greatness and God doesn't give all gifts equally. Our God that we serve, he is not fair. He's not a fair God. A fair God would have said, I'm going to give you five, you five, and you five. That's a fair God. Mm -mm. He's not a fair God. The God that we serve is a just God. He says, I'm going to give you five, I'm going to give you two, and I'm going to give you one. And the reason why I'm giving you five and giving you two and giving you one is because I am giving you these gifts, these talents, according to your abilities. He says, I know what you need. I know what you need and I know what you need. And so I'm going to give them to you according to your abilities, not according to fairness, but according to just. And so he, he distributes, he distributes these gifts five to two to one. Uh, what I want you to do, if you feel the comparison trap is holding you and preventing you from moving forward in your greatness and moving forward in your gifts. What I want you to do, excuse me, what I want you to do literally is I don't want you to compare yourself to someone else. I want you to compare yourself to yourself. Like if you feel like you had to compare yourself to someone, say, man, like last year this time, I didn't have this car, but this year this time, look what God has done in my life. And be grateful for where God is moving you. Last year, I didn't really understand what my gifts were. But now God has just blessed me richly. If you're going to compare yourself to anything, compare yourself to your yesterday, right? And recognize that, man, I am further along, better along. I have more experiences than what I had yesterday. I am grateful for where God is moving me. I praise God for what he's doing in my life. Let me continue to focus on what I have in my hand right now and maximize this so that others may be elevated and so that the kingdom can be exalted. And so God gave one five, God gave one two, God gave one one talent. But, but, but understand this also, when you think about these gifts, these talents, that what God was really giving them, what the master was really giving them, 
is the master was really giving them opportunity. <laughs> I like how one preacher says it. He says, it's opportunity. That at the core of what they had wasn't a, wasn't a, a, a talent. At the core of what they had was an opportunity to grow. And that for each one of us, God has given each one of us an opportunity. He's given us opportunities. Every day you're alive, every day you inhale, no matter what's in your cupboards, no matter what's in your garage, no matter what your personality may be or may not be, no matter if you can speak or can't speak, no matter what's going on in your life, if you are alive, God has given you an opportunity. And the question is, is what are you going to do with the opportunity that God has given you? He's given us opportunities. It doesn't matter where you are or what you've done. He's given you opportunities. In fact, there's a, a gentleman, um, one of our members, um, Sheila, uh, she has a member of our church and she's a part of many of our life groups and our outreach. And I just, you know, appreciate her ministry and her presence at our church so much. And recently she shared with me kind of something that her brother is going through. Her brother, Chris, uh, is battling with ALS. And he is up north, I believe, in Northern California, and he's battling with this, with this, with this disease. And it's gotten to the point where um, he can, he's no longer can, you know, exercise his, his, the movement of his body, his limbs. But yet Chris still has a powerful ministry. She was telling me, and I actually went and looked him up on Facebook. And true enough, every single day, what Chris does is he puts out a daily devotional. Now, now check this, because here this individual is battling with ALS, a, a, a disease that just really just destroys your ability to walk, to communicate, to use your muscles. And he's gotten to that point where he cannot do any of it, but he still is able to write a daily devotional. So much so that he's been doing it for so long, he's actually taken all of his devotionals and he is compiling them and building, in, building them into a actual devotional book. And that he sends out, she told me, he sends out encouraging text messages and, and just encouragement every single day to, to people to remind them of, of to keep going, to keep pressing. And, and Sheila literally told me that Chris really is her hero because in spite of what he's going through, he's not allowed what he's going through to prevent him from taking advantage of the opportunity to elevate others. The opportunity to exalt the kingdom. Now, if you were laying in your bed, unable to move, suffering from ALS, a disease that you know that the mortality rate is significantly high and you, were a, and you recognize that this is the path that you're on, would, would you have the presence of mind to recognize that, no, I can still be light, I can still be joy, I can still be encouragement to someone. But this is what it means to grow your gifts. This is what it means to be fruitful even in and, and, and during a season which you fare, which you feel is an unfruitful season. You recognize that, no, I'm going to continue to elevate those around me and to exalt the kingdom. And so Sheila said that Chris does everything he can with what he has for as long as he can. And that is the essence of what it means to be a producer. I will do everything I can with what I have 
for as long as I can. I won't compare my life to someone else. I won't compare my story to someone else. I won't compare my gifts to someone else. I won't compare my personality to someone else. I won't compare my house or my possessions to someone else. I will do everything I can as long as I can. I will do everything I can with what I have for as long as I can. That is fruitfulness. And so, if all you focus on is what you don't have, you will miss the opportunity that the master has given you. Now, my question is, I'm reading this story, some had five, some, one had five, one had two, one had one. My question is, like, okay, but why did the master leave? The text says that he went on a, that he was going, uh, traveling to a far country and, and that he, he, he called his servants, he delivered their, his goods to them. And, uh, and uh, 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 after a long time, he came back. The question I have is like, did he not feel like he had to stay and watch over them? Did he not feel like he had to stay and dictate like, hey, you with five, I want you to do this. Hey, you with two, I want you to do this. And you with one, I want you to do this. Like, like the master really did not give them any instructions uh, or directions. He just said, hey, I'm giving you five, I'm giving you two, um, and I'm giving you, I'm giving you one, and then I'm coming back. He really didn't stand over them micromanaging their gifts or their talents or their opportunities. And my question is, well, why? And then I just began to realize that the God that we serve, that he is not a God that wants to micromanage your life. That the God that we serve has literally, he literally desires us to have agency. I mean, go back to Genesis in chapter one and Genesis chapter two, where he said, Adam and Eve, Adam, he's like, I'm giving you dominion. I'm giving you power. Now you name the animals and you name the, 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 the mammals and you call them whatever you want to call them. He literally gave Adam and then Eve, he gave them agency over their dominion. He said, I'm giving this to you. You do with it what you will. So when it comes to your life and your gifts and your resources, God is not going to stand over you and say, hey, I want you to do this. And hey, I want you to do that. No, God is saying, I'm giving you these things. Now it's up to you. You have agency. Do with it what you will. But understand that I'm expecting fruit. It's almost like there is, there is something goes on amongst the body of Christ. And the way that I like to frame it is that there's literally four quadrants. There's four quadrants that you and I fall into. And one quadrant, uh, we'll call this first quadrant, we'll call it uh, fatalism. Now, fatalism, fatalism is when you believe that all events are predetermined and that you have very little control over anything that happens in your life. So someone, a Christian who, who buys into this, this fatalistic belief system is basically saying, you know what? God is really, really big and I'm really, really small. And at the end of the day, God's going to do whatever he wants to do. But that's a false belief because yes, God is big, but you are not really, really small because God wants to give you agency. I know some people who say, well, I'm not going to do anything until the spirit tells me. Okay, I hear you, but that's not how God works. God is not going to direct every single step of your life. Now, God wants to be involved, and if you ask God, he'll give you, he'll give you direction, but God is not going to wake you up and say, okay, today I want you to eat oatmeal, and tomorrow I want you to eat cream of wheat, and the next day I want you to eat cereal, and today I want you to wear these blue socks, and tomorrow I want you to wear these red socks. God doesn't want machines that he controls. God wants partners. He wants children. He wants sons and daughters 
who he has relationship with. The, the, so the first quadrant is fatalism. The bottom quadrant, if that's like the top left, the bottom quadrant is what we call uh, nihilism or nihilism. And people who fall into this bottom quadrant, they're basically individuals who feel like, you know what? God is really, really small and I'm really, really small and uh, life is meaningless. I have no control over anything. God has no control over anything. Que sera, sera, what will be, will be. Now, that's not biblical. That's not how God operates. But many of us feel that way. We're like, well, what difference does it make? It, whatever's going to happen is going to happen. It seems like oh, I always get the short end of the stick. It's not going to make a difference. God's not going to do anything for me, and I can't do anything for myself. So I might as well just sit here and just live my life. That's not where God has called us to be. So some of us fall into this fatalistic mentality. Some of us fall into this nihilism or nihilism. The other quadrant is what we call narcissism. And I'm sure many of you are familiar with this term because narcissism, narcissism essentially says that God is really, really small and I'm really, really big. So I don't really care what God says or what God thinks. I'm going to do what I want to do anyway. Right. That's a narcissist. Someone where it's all about them. It's about their way, their life. It's the belief that it's all about what I can do for myself. Tons of self-help. God is small. God doesn't matter. Uh, God has no bearing on what I do in my life. I'm the captain of my ship. You know, we know that's not biblical. That's not what God desires. No. What God desires is for us not to fall into fatalistic or nihilism or narcissism. What God desires us to fall into is the fourth quadrant, which essentially says that God believes in co-creationism. Yeah, co-creationism. That God partners with us and that while, while God gets everything started, God hands us for the baton and God says, now run with it, Adam. Now run with it, Eve. Be fruitful and multiply, Adam. Be fruitful and multiply, Eve. Be fruitful and multiply, Relove. Take the gifts I've given you and grow them, develop them, produce, expand them, do great things. I'm not going to build a table for you, but I'm going to give you a tree. And whenever you can build from that tree, you build from that tree. Interestingly enough, I heard one preacher say it like this, that God does not make chairs. He's not in the chair making business. What God makes is trees. And then God says, now you, you take this tree and you make chairs, you make tables, you make beds, you make whatever you want to make. You make paper for crying out loud, make paper from this tree. But God does not make paper. That's what we call co-creationism, where God says, I'm giving you these things. Now you take them and you grow them. And again, the question is, are you growing your gifts? Are you growing what God has given you? Because the expectation of the master is that you will take advantage of the gifts and the opportunities that God has given you. Well, last point, one of my last points is that for many of us, when I think about this man who had one talent, and he decided to bury his talent. And that in his decision to bury his talent, basically what you and I do when we decide not to grow our gifts, or let me say it like this, that you can decide to grow your gifts or you can decide to make excuses. 
I mean, look what he said. And I actually want to read verse 26 and 27 again, but I want to read it from the message version. It says, it says, the servant who had one talent or 1,000 said, Master, I know you have high standards and hate careless ways that you demand the best and make no allowances for error. I was afraid I might disappoint you. So I found a good hiding place and secured your money. I was afraid I might disappoint you. So I, I, I found a good hiding place and secured your money. Here it is, safe and sound to the last coin. Now, what's interesting is that this brother said, I, I know that you are hard. I know that you, you reap where you have not sown. I was afraid, and so I hid the gift. I hid the talent. Now, for me, I don't know why he chose to hide his talents as opposed to recognizing that I'm afraid, but let me, let me rather than hiding my talent, let me hide my fear and lift up my talent. Let me bury my fear because I recognize that my fear won't get me anywhere. And let me bury my fear and lift up my talent. What I want you to do is recognize that God is not calling you to live out your fear. God is calling you to live out of fruitfulness. And what I want some of you all to do as you are afraid to truly live your life and to shine is I want you to bury your fear. I want you can say I'm afraid but I will not let my fear dictate how I live my life. God has given me too much for me not to take advantage of all that he has given me. It goes on to say in verse 27, the master, as a result of this servant's response, the master was furious. That's a terrible way to live. It's criminal. Look what he says. It's criminal to live cautiously like that. If you knew I was after the best, why did you, why did you not do the least? Uh, the least you could have done would have been to invest the sum with bankers where at least I would have gotten a little interest. Look what he says. He says, it is criminal to live a life where you are not letting your light shine, where you're not manifesting your gifts. You're not allowing your gifts to, exalt, to emerge. You're not exalting those around you. It's criminal to live cautiously like that. Criminal. That God has not called us to live cautiously. Now, I'll be honest, God hasn't called us to live recklessly either. God has called us to live fearlessly intentionally. God, you've given me something. How can I use that which is around me to be a blessing to those that I come in contact with? Each one of you has a set of gifts and God wants to use your gifts to bless others around you and to exalt, to, to, to exalt the kingdom of heaven. And so, this one servant, he cast him out. He took the one talent he had and he gave it to the one, he gave it to the 10. And let me tell you, this principle is so true because there have been times when I have, I have buried my talents. I say, oh, I'm no, you know, no one's going to want me and no one's going to want this. And I bury my talents. And God, in fact, I had a friend call me years ago. He said, Seth, I know your passions. I know what you're good at. I know your gifts. He said, but no one knows. Why are you? He literally said to me, why are you burying your talents? 
He says, you need to start living out loud, even for all my, my, all my introverts out there. You need to start living out loud. And that's not to say that you have to have, you got to speak to a stadium of 10,000 people or have a social media presence of a million people. No, that's not what living out loud means. Living out loud and fruitfulness is not about social media influence. It's about personal influence. It's about you saying, listen, I have a few things. I, I can bless one person. I can be an encouragement to one person, even if you might just have very small following. I can be, I can be of a source of encouragement for somebody. There's someone out there who will be blessed by my word. Now, what's interesting as I close, what's interesting is that the perspective of this gentleman who had one talent, let me say it like this, that each one of these servants had the same amount of information. It wasn't as if the servant with one talent had more information about the master than the servant with five talents. No, all of them knew that the master was hard. All of them knew that he reaped where he had not sown. All of them knew that he expected a good return. But for some reason, the one with one talent did nothing with it. And I can only imagine that it's because of perspective. That your perspective determines your response. That if you look at your life and you feel like I have nothing, I am nothing, I will amount to nothing, then you will do nothing. But when you look at your life and you say, man, I have been blessed, I am favored, God loves me, I am, I am, I am, I am a child of his. If you understand that you, that God has poured out all power, all, all authority, all potential into you, then you will have a different perspective and you will do something. So what has God called you to do? How is God calling you to grow your gifts. Do you even know what your gifts are? I don't want you to think that you have to take some, some, social, um, some uh, spiritual gifts inventory online, some assessment in order to know, oh, do I have a gift of hospitality? Do I have a gift of administration? Do I have the gift of, you know, helps or, or I mean, that's one level of gifts. But I think at the end of the day, it's not so much about your actual spiritual gifts as much as it is about the opportunities that God has put in front of you right now. That you have a home, you have a vehicle, you have agency, you have opportunity, you have air in your lungs, you have freedom of thought that no matter who you are, where you are, there is something you can do, that you can be a producer. What I want you to do is I, my, I guess my appeal and what I want you to do today is I want you to make a commitment in your mind that you know what, God, you've given me agency. I might have five talents, I might have two, I might just have one but you've given me opportunity. And I wanna invite you to pray this prayer with me that you will take advantage of the opportunities that God has given you. That opportunity might mean just taking a friend to lunch, you know, social distancing style. It, it may mean just, you know what, I have people I can call and encourage. Like I wanna, I wanna elevate my, those around me. It may mean just forming relationships with people on social media and pouring into them and encouraging them. It might mean mentoring or big brothers or big sisters, but there's someone in your life that God is saying, I place you in this position. Don't be so concerned with what you have or what you don't have. Don't get caught up in comparing yourself with someone else, but understand that your life was designed to be a blessing to others. So let your light shine. I want to pray for you, but before I do that, 
I want to invite you that if you want to grow your gifts, if you want to bear fruit, I want to invite you right now to jump over to our website, relove.church. And in the top right corner, you're going to see a button that says bear fruit. And I want you to click that button and it's going to take you to a web page and you'll see a video from me. And I want you to just fill out a form and says, you know what? I want to bear fruit. And once you fill out that form, we're going to be in contact with you. We're going to send you a few emails. Um, we want to just kind of help you move forward in taking advantage of the opportunities that God has given you. So that's my appeal right now that you would jump over to relove.church, that you would click that link in the top right corner that says bear fruit and that you would just engage with us to say that, you know what? Yeah, we're in the middle of COVID, but there's something I can still do. And the last thing I want to hear God say is that, you're, you're, that, that I have been criminal in how I have lived cautiously. No, I want to hear God say, because you've been faithful in small things, because you were faithful on social media, because you were faithful with your one neighbor, because you were faithful in your children, because you were faithful over the little one bedroom apartment that you had, because you were faithful over the 2,000, 3,000 square foot house that you had, because you were faithful over the small things I gave you, I'm going to make you a partner for life. Enter now into the joy of the Lord. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you. I love you. I bless you that you continually call us. You give us permission and then you call us to be producers, to grow, to bear fruit. God, may you just have your way in our lives that we will live boldly, courageously, fearlessly going forth, bearing fruit for your kingdom. That we will let our light shine that we won't just bear some fruit or more fruit, but that we would remain in Christ and that we would bear much fruit, even in the middle of this COVID season, that we would know that from our lives, others can be blessed. So may we be fruitful. May we have exercised the dominion that you have given us, that, that our gifts would emerge, that, our, our, that others around us would be elevated and that the kingdom would be exalted. God, I thank you and I bless you. In Jesus' name, amen.